Wonderful, and God bless you. I'm so glad you're here, and a good day of worship. i got to kind of tell you all a story as we get started this morning. I realize today that it's been almost 13 years, not quite, but getting pretty close to 13 years since I got voted in, received my first call to be a pastor of a church. At the age of 24, and boy was I young, whew, 24 I called to be the pastor of Sunnyside Baptist Church in Wichita Falls. My opinion and I were, had been married a couple of years, and we were living up there, and, and both trying to wrap up school. And, you know, it was, it was something else to do that. You know, again, I, I thought it was kind of cool that I was, you know, so young and getting to pastor a church. And in, in truth, and I've, I've said this before, this church, I mean, they're almost, almost every church member there could have easily been my grandparents. I mean, easily. You know, and I think sometimes I think back now, you know, almost 13 years later, and I think about what that, you know, what that church was thinking, you know, when they were calling me as pastor. I'm, you know, I'm going, man, that was the best choice they ever made. You know, and I'm, no, really, I mean, all these years later, I'm going, man, what were they thinking? You know, it's kind of like I was... I mean, young, 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 and I mean, again, only married a couple years, not even kids left, you know, had come along yet, lived in two whole cities my whole life, you know, I mean, I didn't come with a wealth of uh, life experience, and I was still trying to finish a college degree, I had switched majors late and was still trying to wrap up, that hadn't been a seminary, had anything else, and, and I'm, again, now looking back, and I know I... I mean, some of you, I may still be young. I guess age is a relative thing, but I'm looking now and, you know, mid, getting on the late 30s and going, man, I was a kid, I was a baby pastor in that church. You know, but I tell you, I didn't feel that way then. When I was 24 and they're saying, all right, you're the pastor of this church, man, I was walking around like, uh-huh, you know it, look at you, look at me. I said, there ain't no other 24-year-old pastor in a church. Oh, yeah. I mean, those first six months, I didn't walk up to the pulpit. I strutted up. I was like, yep. Here, here comes Brother Greg. He's going to preach it, you know. He's like, y'all better watch out. It was that pride, you know, that young pride. That, and again, that, that young heart thinking, man, this will be easy. I mean, if they obviously, if I'm this young, and they're thinking well, you're going to be a pastor for church with people much older than you, you know, I, I, this must be the easiest thing in the world. You know, I'll, I'll have this thing turned around in, a, in about a month. You know, I thought this can be easy. I said, I can handle anything. All these other guys been pastor, you know, they just weren't as talented as me. And you know, I, I wasn't really thinking that, but I was almost there. There was a little bit of pride going on. And God, as we all know he would have done, he certainly humbled me. Uh, it didn't take too awful long before I started having experiences and going, oh, man, this isn't easy as I thought it was going to be. I'm not as good at this as I thought I was. And certainly needed a, a pretty big learning curve. And I tell you one, where it hit me big. You know, I've always, you know, was, when I was preaching, when I was getting into being a pastor, I thought, man, I must be a pretty good communicator. And as I shared last week, that's, I knew that's one of my spiritual gifts, was to preach and teach God's Word. And I'm thinking, you know, God put me in this place because I can clearly express difficult things and Bible passages that are hard to understand and I'm sure everybody will understand what I'm saying, and there won't be any confusion. There won't be any miscommunication. I won't hurt anybody's feelings. Yeah, right. Well, I'll tell you how I learned how wrong I was. As I became pastor of that church, we started a weekday Bible study. I was teaching a few different Bible studies in different places, but 
I did a midweek Bible study, and I was teaching through, not preaching like I am now, but just teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians, where we have been the majority of this year. And we, we sat down about an hour, hour and a half every week with a group of maybe about 10 to 12 uh, adults, again, grandparents, all of them, to, you know, and we would go through the Bible. Now, if you've been with me as we've gone through 1 Corinthians, you've seen some difficult stuff. And I was this young pastor trying to teach them things. And we came to one particular week of Bible study when we got to 1 Corinthians 14, which is where we're going to find ourselves today. Now, some people will tell you that uh, 1 Corinthians 14 may be the most difficult chapter in the whole book. Not just because, I mean, there's some just deep things in it, some hard things to understand, but there's a little bit of controversial stuff in there too. And there's people who really struggle with, with that chapter. Now, even though I was young, I was smart enough to know, hey, I, this could be a tough passage to deal with as I go to try to teach this weekday Bible study. So I'm going to really be uh, really careful. I'm going to really study. I'm going to really prepare going into this. Now, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We'll read in just you know, in a few moments, but some of the highlights that come out in, in chapter 14 is about speaking in tongues. Some people are you know, kind of have a hard time understanding that particular issue and how it's used and prophesying and all the different things in churches. But one of the toughest things it says and a part that people want to sometimes skip over is a, is a section towards the end of the chapter that talks about women. And I don't want to get it. Don't walk out of me when I tell you this because it's just what Scripture says. It says in the Bible, women should remain silent. Men, if you say amen right now, you're going to be in so much trouble. It says women should remain silent, you know, at church. And if you got a question, go home and ask your husband. Okay, so don't, again, don't walk out yet. I see Nomi starting heading for the door, right? They're going, I ain't asking my husband. No, no. I know you are. I know you are. No, listen. And so I was, I'm going, okay, this is a difficult passage. This is, you know, okay, what does this mean? So I studied up and I got ready. And so as I was teaching this Wednesday, uh, midweek Bible study, whatever day it was, I was going through and I was going through some of the same stuff I've gone with you. We were talking about, is this a prescriptive or descriptive? Is this something that was just talking about that time and day? Is it something that relates unto today? What's the cultural setting? What's the context of the Bible? What is it, what's the, the big picture behind what's going on here? And I'm trying to explain it. I'm trying to show different views and all these things. And in the end, I kind of came down to, uh, you know, saying, without getting into all what we'll get into in a little bit, just saying, no, this is not a verse that says women have, they can't ever say anything or participate in the worship or anything like that. And I was trying to explain why that's the case, which we'll kind of touch on this some this morning. And so I thought I'd done a pretty good job. Nobody, you know, got upset with me. And yeah, but there were some comments and some questions and there was good back and forth. That's actually a lot easier setting to teach through this when you can sit down around a table and talk it out, you know, and ask those questions and make sure you understood things and um, so I thought, hey, all's good. Until two days later, I get a letter on my desk. And I open it up, and it says, Dear Pastor Greg, uh, in Sunnyside Baptist Church, it says, um, I want effective immediately. I'm leaving the church, and I want my membership taken off the books, and I will be going to such and such other place. And I'm going, oh. And so, so it was one of my church members writing this. It's the first time I ever received a letter like this. And I keep reading. And the explanation for being so upset and saying I'm leaving the church was that 
as I taught through 1 Corinthians 14, and specifically the section on women about whether to speak or not speak in service and all these things, this church member who was a woman, uh, unmarried, had never married in her life, she was probably late 60s, early 70s, it's probably not what you think. She didn't get upset at me for saying that's, there's some points behind what's in the Scripture and trying to explain it. She got upset because I was saying that is not ap- completely applicable today. That it's, and we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll explain some of this. This is tough stuff. But I was saying that's dealing with some of their context and setting. And, I, and in my point of, yes, women can and speak and participate and things like this, she got so mad at that. She got so upset that I said that, and it didn't take it just, you know, just those few verses at face value because she couldn't see my point of there's a bigger picture, which we're going to look at this morning. She got so upset, she goes, I'm going to leave the church. And the bottom of her letter said, don't call, don't visit, don't send somebody else to do it. I don't want to hear anything from you. I'm out of here. I thought it was so funny just because that this woman, every time she came to Bible study, she was the one who talked more than anybody. I mean, she was all asking questions all the time and speaking up, and she got mad at me for talking about this passage, and she left. And I, that was the day I realized this pastor and things are going to be a little tougher than I thought. Now, why do I tell you this? First, I'll tell you because I'm a little gun-shy, because that's what happened the last time I taught on 1 Corinthians 14. So please, nobody send me an angry letter this week and say you're leaving church because of it, all right? It, you know, I, hopefully I'm, I can handle this. It's tough. You know, there's some difficult things. And in fact, I, I've said this before through this series, and I'll say it again. I would love to sit down with anybody because there are some things that may be tough to understand, and there's big things being talked about. You got a question? You're not sure if you heard that or understood something? Or Come on, I would, I would love to pray with you through a Bible passage, this one or any other, and we'll, we'll come through it together. Because this is, this is Pastor Greg trying to do as best he can with the Word of God. And just operating in the spirit. And it's, but it's tough. It's tough. Now, the re- other reason I tell you that little story is this. That woman, she got lost in the details. I mean this. She couldn't see the bigger picture of what was happening in Scripture, which I'm going to try to draw our attention to this morning. I'm going to tell you right now, before we start reading, before we get into it, that this passage truly is not about, just about... Uh, speaking in tongues and prophesying and the role of women and all that. We're going to hear that, okay? But I'm going to tell you, that's not the main point. And you can get lost in, in trying to understand the, the pieces and if you don't see the bigger picture. You know, you can't see the forest for the trees. And so as we go through this, and there's going to be points where read, you go, man, what is that? I don't understand that. I'm not sure if I agree with that. As we go through some things, I want you to go, hold on a second. There's a bigger picture. And in fact, this is going to be challenging. I'm going to just tell you, tell you, friends, this is challenging for me because there's some tough things to deal with. But as I have been kind of a, a, a ball of nerves this week and anxiety. That's why I was up to 1 o'clock this night, up at 5.30 this morning, praying through because I think this has an incredibly awesome message for us. But we can't get lost in the small pieces. We have to apply them to a big picture. And it's going to take a lot from you. It's going to mean you've got to stay engaged in the Word of God and in the Spirit to hear His message. 
because it's going to be challenging. I'm going to ask right now ahead of time for forgiveness if I misstate something or don't get my point clearly across. Please bear with me as we deal with some tough things. As we talk this morning through our series in 1 Corinthians, the big picture. Now, I know it, chapter 14, there's a, there's a lot to it. But we're going to just kind of read through it. I want you to see it. We're not skipping any verses in our study through 1 Corinthians. And we've been going through this for a while, and we're getting close to the end. But I want you to see this. And if you'll stay engaged, I think God has something awesome for us. Let's put our scripture this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It says this. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? Unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction. Even in the case of lifeless things that that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is this distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say, Amen, to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you are saying. You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regards uh, to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written... With other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. We're in verse 22. We're going to keep going. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. For the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquires and unbelievers come in. Will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever... Or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying. They are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all. As the secrets of the heart are laid bare. 
so they will fall down and worship you, God, exclaiming, God is really among you. What shall we say then, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes down to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirit of prophets are subject to control the prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. For if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. All right, take a deep breath and go, all right, there's a lot to that. And even now, some of you are kind of going, I'm not sure how I feel about all of that. And I'm going to tell you right now, as I've already mentioned, that, I mean, chapter 14, as we've studied through it, there have been people kind of come from all angles at this thing, dealing with and trying to explain about what are tongues, how are they to be used, (laughs) you know, what about uh, the order of service, you know, is that what Paul's really talking about is, how things should be done when you come together? And what about that comment about women? Is Paul just a big jerk and doesn't like women? Is that, I mean, I don't know. There are tons of issues. And even right now, you may be going, man, why do we read all of that? And I don't understand how it all applies together. And I'm telling you this, I'm hoping you kind of get the picture that there is something bigger going on here. This is not a passage that is supposed to be like the focus of it. The main point is about tongues or prophesying or the role of women. That's not the main point. What you have here, and I want you to follow with me to stay engaged in the Word of God, is we we have a big picture and a little picture. Now, the little picture, actually, there's a lot of little picture things. It's all the different issues brought up now when i say little picture i don't want you to think i'm demeaning the word of god or those issues because the issue of spiritual gifts and using those things like tongues and prophecy and and being orderly in church and the role of those are all important things i don't want you to think i'm saying they're not important i'm just trying to point out to you that there are there's a big thing there's the main point the big picture and little things And those little picture items, again, are important, but you can't understand them truly if you don't get them in the context of the bigger thing. And the big thing, the big picture, is awesome. When you get what God is really doing in His Word here, I mean, you can get blown away by this reminder of how all of that 
applies. Because if there's no big picture, it seems like Paul is just a rambling guy to this point to that point to the, over here and then. It's got to apply to something bigger. Now, I tell you, friends, I, I know not all of you have been here this whole time, but since we started this time in 1 Corinthians back in January, believe it or not, from then until now, we've been building up for the big picture. We've touched on it. We've kind of walked around it a few times, but we've been preparing to, for this kind of big reminder, the big idea that God is trying to get through to that church and to us. We've got to get that. We have to understand what that is. But here's the challenge. There's no one, just one place to point says, it doesn't have arrows pointing says, this is the big picture. This is the main idea. Because it's so huge. It encompasses so much. We have to kind of look and understand and seek the Lord to get this. So I'm going to tell you, we got a little bit of a, a mystery going on this morning. We have to look and consider a few things to get an understanding of what is the big picture and how do all the little picture things, how do all the sub points fit into it and how does that even affect you and me? So here's what we're going to do. I want to highlight a few things from this passage and things we've talked about and I think you're going to see it begin to fit together. The first thing I actually need to do is remind you the points we talked about last Sunday. Now I'm not going to re-preach that sermon but there's a big reason why. Now, last Sunday, in case you weren't here, we were talking through 1 Corinthians 12, which is spiritual gifts. It was talking about how God gives spiritual gifts to the believer and, and how there's one body but many parts, and we talked about all this. Now, in case you forgot, I'm going to tell you again, what were the main points that we talked about last Sunday? Highly important to know it. One, all believers have spiritual gifts. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been saved, you have been given spiritual gifts. It's not just for some, it's for all believers. Two, the spiritual gifts God has given you are not for your own benefit. He didn't give it to build you up. He gave you spiritual gifts to build the body of Christ up. They were meant to serve others and to increase the blessing upon the church. It is to be served out in that spiritual gift. That was the second awesome reminder we had. And then also, we need each other's spiritual gifts. That was the third point we talked about last Week. We said that if you're not operating in spiritual gifts, you're hurting the church. You remember the illustration? Again, the one body, many parts. And it says, you know, one's the hand and one's the foot and one's the eye and one's the ear. And if you're not operating in your spiritual gifts, it's like you're telling your church to walk around on one leg or to walk around blind because you're not filling the role God gave you because you all have different spiritual gifts. Yours are different than mine. You all do not need to be up here preaching a message, nor do I need to be doing some of the things God has called you to do. We have all been given spiritual gifts. We focused last week on the problem of when we don't use spiritual gifts. Now, I bring this up to tell you because as we get into all that stuff about prophecy and tongues and interpretations and all that stuff, what that's reminding us of, there's also the problem of misusing our spiritual gifts. We can not use them, and that's terrible. We could say, you know, I'm, I know God has equipped me to do such and such, but I'm not going to do it because I'm too scared. I don't want to. That's hurting the church. But in the same way, again, we can misuse our spiritual gifts and hurt the church. I'll use, again, myself as an example just to keep it clear. 
Again, I know and I've received the confirmation of that God has put me on, on me the ability to preach and teach his word. Again, I shared some of that last week, how I know God was giving that, how it's not of me, it's a grace-filled gift of God that I'm called to walk in. But guess what? I am not called to stand up and preach every time the church comes together. Women, do you want me to come to your women's retreat this week and just preach the whole weekend through? Like, no, please don't do it. That's not the point of that event. You know, I, the youth do not want me to come to their back-to-school thing tonight where they're going to have fellowship and hear testimony and work, all that stuff. I'm not called to go preach at that tonight. And that's okay. There's times for me to operate in that gift. That's happening right now. And there's times for me not to operate in that gift. There's times for me to step back because somebody else needs to step up. And if I went around and every time there were two or three gathered of the church and I said, well, here's the church. I better stand up and preach. I'm doing damage. In the same way, what if I stood up here and used the Word of God to get retribution or to preach right at one of you? And sometimes after a sermon, some of you will come and say, you were t- preaching right at me. You were talking, you must know what's going on in my life. And I say, I'm never, ever, ever preaching to one person. I never want to snap and say, oh, I got that one person in mind. They really need to hear this and make a message for them. I'm never doing that. That's the Word of the Lord coming and speaking to you. I don't want to stand up here and, and you know, use this as my podium to, to do damage. And I could. Because this book right here is a sword and it can hurt. And I can use this and twist this because that's what the enemy does. And I can choose and pick my verses and give you a picture. And I can tell you what I wanted to tell you. And I come up here, and if I, if I don't like what somebody's doing, I can stand up here, and since you all had to listen to me, I can stand up here and make my case and call you out. If I find out that somebody's been uh, gossiping or slandering or back-talking, which, can you believe it does happen sometimes? Oh, my word. And like we, you know, that happens sometimes in church. Guess what? What if I hear that somebody had an issue with me and, and wouldn't talk to me? Well, it doesn't feel good, but that, does that give me a right to come up here and say, let me tell you, I'm going to really preach at you. That's misusing a spiritual gift, isn't it? And the whole point of what we begin getting in that chapter of the prophecy and the tongues and da-da-da, all this stuff, because that church, one of the issues they were dealing with is the issue of the gift of tongues. And it wasn't even a discussion about what are tongues. It was saying, you're misusing them. You're causing a distraction in the service. All these people are standing up and they're doing this and there's no interpretation so nobody else has any of that what's going on and people are coming in and think you're crazy and it's hurting the church. This is not a passage that says whether you know, prophecy is the best or tongues are the best or preaching is the best or this and that. It's saying, hey guys, you're misusing your spiritual gifts. We saw it in chapter 12 when we were there last week. It says, the hand can't say to the foot, we don't need you because I'll be the foot, right? You can't be what God didn't make you to be. You can't serve in an area that God didn't call you to do. You're going to misuse your spiritual gifts, and that is going to hurt the church. Now, some of you probably been wondering this morning, says, why did we skip over 1 Corinthians 13? Wouldn't that have been a lot easier this morning? Like, why didn't I come on the Sunday, 1 Corinthians 13? Love chapter now, who can mess that one up, right? Well, you've probably forgotten that. It's okay. We actually didn't skip over chapter 13. We used it back in the spring on Mother's Day. Kind of went out of order. 
But you know that if you think about it, because most of y'all know 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. But do you remember how that chapter starts? The bridge between the discussion of spiritual gifts and chapter 14 of all this problem with them? It says if you have all these things, right? If you have all the tongues and you have all this, but have not love, you have nothing. It doesn't matter your spiritual gifts if you're not using them right. If you're coming in for yourself, you can be the best preacher or the best prophet or the best prayer warrior or whatever it is, but if you're not doing so in love and with an attitude of, I'm going to build up the body of Christ, then what use is it? That's why that chapter on love is there. We think it's this you know, little section by itself of, oh, this talks about how I should love my husband and love my wife. No, it's talking about that that's the heart we should have when we're serving the Lord and using our spiritual gifts. That's the bridge between chapter 12 and 14. All these things, this prophecy in tongues, they're saying you're misusing your spiritual gifts. And the key word I want you to hear in this is the, the result of all this was it was causing a distraction. It was distracting people from being focused on what needed to be, have their attention. I want you to understand that because that's getting us closer and closer and a little bit closer on to the main point, to the big picture. So you're finally going, all right, Greg, you've got to deal with it. What about, what about women? You're thinking, is he just not going to kind of like forget that that was there and like try to just say amen and move on? Like, he better say something about this. You know, I, I got to say, I'm very thankful because I was, um, I, I was worried for a while Earlier in the week, I was talking to some of the praise team. I was telling them what passage I'd be on and, you know, quoting some of the verses about, you know, hey, women should be silent. And, you know, if you got a question, go home and ask your husband. And Don Tanner told me that when I got to that part, she was going to stand up and ask a question and see what I did. <laughs> and, and I just want to say, actually, I want to say thank you to John, because obviously in that meantime, John, you've got your wife under control. You handled your business. <laughs> no, no, he's like, oh, don't do that to me, man. Don't do that to me. Don't do, no. You go, you know, you're saying, what's the issue? Why, you know, how could Paul say this? He's, you know, women don't have any kind of opinion to be in church. It should only be just men only. And you're thinking, I've been a part of church where most of uh, the leaders are women. You know, there's the ones that were commenting and all this stuff. And you're saying, we've been wrong this whole time. I forget What's the, we're trying to understand this in the bigger picture. Now, I know it's maybe been a while, maybe you missed it, but I want you to kind of think back to it. We've talked about some of this before. Because one of the things that church was dealing with, I want to talk about their specific issue for a second, was they're dealing with a culture that was messing up the roles of men and women and husband and wife, what sound a little bit like today. They were dealing with a culture that was completely messing this up. And... Paul, God through Paul was trying to remind this church about how husbands, you should be following the Lord. You should be a godly man under the headship, under the authority, the covering of Christ so that your wife can come under the headship, the covering, the blessing of the husband. Not that one is better than another, but saying, I'm, I'm covering you, I'm blessing you. And we talked about this a few chapters ago about the head coverings and all that stuff. It was saying, this church, hey, Corinthian church, this is your way to handle the struggle you're having with 
a godly picture of home and for men and women, your issues with submission and authority. He was saying, you know, to, to that church says, hey, husbands, you need to be following the Lord. You need to be good leaders. Wives, you need to, if you follow on your husbands because he's following the Lord, you're not going to be led astray and he's going to love you and, and get your opinion and you're going to, it wasn't demeaning anybody. It was saying there's blessing that comes when both men and women learn the, the wonderful nature of submitting under a, a headship and being covered by a blessing. And so this is kind of a reference back to things they were dealing with because they, Paul knows that church is struggling with women, with what their role is and not trusting husbands and husbands not trusting the Lord and all this stuff. And he's saying to them, hey, Ladies, remember, I'm calling you. I'm calling your husbands. They really need to follow the Lord. And ladies, go home. Ask a question. You know, this is not as terrible as it sounds. In fact, you can try this today. Wives, try this. Go home today and go to your husband and say, what do you think about this? Let's pull up a Bible passage, whether we talked about it this morning or another one. Tell me what you think about it. Now, wives, you may already have a thought and opinion and all these things about it, but ask your husband. Say, what do you think? You know what that can be? That can that put something on the husband to go, well, I better have an opinion about this. I better think about this. I better, you know, I'm not going to take it seriously. And guess what? You can do the same things. You can go to your wife and say, you know what? I want to discuss a passage with you. What do you think about this? Because I love you and I want to lead you, but I want to know what you have to say. And, and parents do that for your children. And and. Children, brothers and sisters and a mom. It's just wonderful to go and say, hey, what do you think about this? And I want to hear your opinion. I want to understand a covering you have under me. And I want to deal with this world that is messing up the picture of the family and of the husband and the wife and the father and the mother and the son and the daughter. And I want to deal with this in a way that is honoring to Christ. And so that the outside world looks at us and says, wow, you're different. I like that. We're not called to look like the rest of the world. And so Paul's addressing this issue saying, hey, remember this. You can go home and ask. And because it seems to, be, seems to be the case there was an issue in that church of, you know, maybe men trying to operate gifts and wives standing up and arguing with them. We don't know for sure, but there was something that's saying, hey, remember, y'all are struggling with this issue. You're struggling here. And you're looking like the world. Stop that. Don't do that. He was addressing those kind of things because the attitude that was going on inside that church, again, it was being distracting for the church body. It wasn't edifying the body. It wasn't building the body of Christ up. It's not a command to say from now on, every church, a woman cannot speak or ask a question or you know, has to only ask her husband. And that's not what it's saying. Because you got to see in the context of what's going on. So finally, I want, I'm going to hit you with, what is the big picture? The big picture that has been going on for actually chapters as we've studied through this, and in some ways since the beginning of all of this, the picture, the main idea of what this church has been struggling with. Here it is. You ready? If you want the big picture, say amen. amen. I don't know if you do or not. Are you, are y'all, must be, y'all must be happy with the little picture, and you're going to walk out of here and just angry because I said something about women or prophesying or tongues or something. You better want the big picture. 
Because Paul has been trying to get on you know, to this church, and this is the same thing we need to hear. Here it is. Here's the big picture. And it encompasses this chapter, and the one before, and the one before that, and so much of what we've talked about. Here it is. We cannot let anything distract us from keeping our eyes on Christ. I don't care what it is. If it is distracting us from keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, the finisher of our faith, then it is a problem. And folks, when we come together as a church, whether it's a Sunday morning worship service, or it's a Bible study, or it's a fellowship time, or it's a small group of people meeting for coffee, I don't care what it is. When the church gathers together, that is a worshipful time. It takes a lot of different forms, but that is worship. And if you let anything distract you from having your eyes focus on Christ in that time where the body of Christ comes together, you are, you're missing out. You're hurting. You're being distracted. And so much of what we've talked about, we've been to this study, is trying to, Paul trying to tell that church, stop letting these things get in your way. You need one focus, and that is your Savior, Jesus Christ. There's one gospel message. There's one way you're saved, and all that other stuff is just getting in your way. If it's distracting you, if it's taking your focus away, then it is no good. And that means sometimes we've got to change how we do things. That means husbands need to change how they do things sometimes. That means wives need to change how they do things. Men and women need to do things. Pastors need to do things differently. Church members need to do things differently. If it's distracting us from keeping our eyes on Christ, it is a problem. That's the big picture. All these other things that are encompassed with it are examples and points he's bringing up of how we can be pulled off message. All these things. And, friends, we may not be dealing with the exact same stuff that church was. You know, we've talked about idols. Well, guess what? Our idols may not be the same as their idols. But we still have a problem with idols. The way their relationships were... The problems they had among them are not going to be the same problems we have. But there's still brokenness there. The little issues change. The distractions may be different, but the bigger point remains. We cannot let anything take away our focus from Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. We live in a world of distractions today, don't we? I don't need raised hands, but think of how many you carry with you want that wonderful cellular device on you right now. And I bet somebody here this morning felt it buzz in their pocket or purse and went like this. I've got to check because I can't keep my eyes on the church stuff because I'm getting a text. Somebody just liked my post on Facebook. Yes. You kidding me, right? Now, I, I kind of hate to do this. Let me just ask you a tough question. That's between you and the Lord. In the hour we've been together, this room, this, this group, what's had your attention? What's had your focus? Now, I know it's easy to get distracted. 
And you may have almost thought about this and put your attention over here. And it happens. It happens. I know it happens. I struggle with it. But where has your heart really been? There's a heart that comes in and says, I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to seek the Lord. Every time I begin to get off track and every time I begin to get distracted by something else and every time I get a little worry coming on me or my phone dings or whatever it is, I'm going to, I know I'm tempted, but I'm going to put those things aside because I am here, I'm in the body of Christ, and I'm going to worship Him. And there's some who come in and their mind, their heart, their eyes are never on Christ from the beginning point. They spend a whole time in here thinking about what they got to cook for lunch or what other appointment they have for the day or, you know, whatever. <laughs> what? My word. Friends, I say this as one who stands guilty, not as one who stands above you. Because, my word, I have so many things that can distract me. And I have on too many times walk in here and flustered because I'm thinking about this and that and over here and over and not thinking about I get to come and worship the Lord and operate in my spiritual gift and just have joy in that it's so easy to get distracted we got to pay attention on that so whether it's our misuse of spiritual gifts as is talked about here whether it's the attitudes we care about (laughs) husband wife or you know how we Present the family to God. Any of those things. If it's causing a distraction, friends. If it's keeping us from building the body of Christ, edifying the church, and and us with the Lord, it is a problem. And the big picture, the main point is we must be diligent to not let one thing distract us from keeping our focus on Jesus Christ. We have to be warriors going after those things. We've got to find those things that are getting our attention, that are taking us away from the Lord, and we've got to call them out of someone from the enemy. We've got to kick them out of our lives. We've got to be downright mean and ugly to those things because they don't belong. Because I have one focus, Jesus Christ. And if I come to the body, and God today called me to be the hand or the foot or the whatever to serve my way, but I can't concentrate on being part of the body. I'm hurting the body of Christ. I'm hurting my church. I don't want that. I pray you don't want that. The question is, what are you going to do about it? That, that's challenging, friends, I know. I mean, that, we dealt with some tough verses this morning. There's a, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot more to that. There's a lot of little things and questions and issues. and I mean, I love to talk about them. I love to get into more of it and go deeper. And there's so much stuff, but I don't want you to miss the big point. And if this morning you got to be honest with the Lord and say, I'm letting a whole lot of things distract me from my focus, my, uh, my job, my friends, or my relationships, or my sin, or my things, or whatever. If those things are constantly distracting me from keeping with Christ, I need to get rid of it. I need to cut it out. I need to play with it, mess with it. I need to get, get rid of it because not one thing should get in the way of our focus on Jesus. Not one thing. So do you have anything distracting you today? If you do, if you honestly are going, yep, there's a whole lot. Just get my attention. This and that and the other. 
Guess what? You're among some pretty good company here because there's plenty of us who are feeling that way or have felt that way. We know what it's like to be distracted and have other things taken us away from our focus on Christ. There, this is a room full of sick, hurting, sinful people who mess up a whole lot of times. I know it. So don't think that you're just the world's worst because you're struggling in that today. You will find a friend here who knows what that feels like. The question is, what are you going to do about it? If God shows you you're letting this and that and the other distract you and get your attention and keep you from using your gifts or causing you to misuse your gifts or any number of things we've talked about, what are you going to do about that thing? You're just going to say, oh, God, I just wish that wasn't a part of my life. Or are you going to do something about it? I think your time here this morning will have proved much more fruitful if you don't walk out of here just saying, well, I heard about distractions. I heard a big point, but I didn't do anything about it. I think it would be a whole lot better if you say, today, whatever God's called me to do, I'm going after it with passion, with intensity. I'm getting rid of those things that take my eyes off of Christ. I'm going to lay them out the altar before God. And I say, no more, because I'm going to serve in the body with all that I have. And nothing's going to take me off track. I hope that's where your commitment and my commitment can be today. Can I pray over you this morning? Let's take a moment. I want to pray over you before we have a time of response and worship to conclude this morning. I want to pray over you because I hope you've heard the word of God. And I hope you haven't just heard it. And I hope you haven't got upset by it or issue with it. But I hope you've let God speak to you, maybe in even a way that I cannot and you're willing to respond right now. So as I pray over you, would you begin to also to pray God? Don't let me be the one I'm praying. Let me pray over you as you are praying to Him. Ask Him to show you, to reveal to you the focus of your heart and the things that need to be dealt with. Let me pray for you right now. Gracious Father, we love you. We rejoice in you. What an awesome privilege it is to be in your house. What it is... What, what, what a blessing it is to be a part of the body of Christ. To know that I can be in this place with a bunch of other people who are, who are struggling, who are imperfect, but who love the Lord Jesus and want to strive ahead, want to be closer to you, want to be more like Christ, want to operate in our spiritual gifts. But God, we have to confess, we have to admit that so many things get us off track. So many distractions. It could be something so little that would just turn our attention away from you. That would cause us to ignore the blessings that are before us. That would cause us to refuse to use our gift. Or maybe even to misuse it in a way that doesn't build up the church. God, there's so many things. God, let us be intense and passionate about going, going and getting rid of those distractions saying that is no good, it's not needed, I'm putting it off. God, I pray today is a day where they begin to release new things unto you. God, the things are just laid out just before you at your feet, saying, I'm just releasing the burden of this. Father, there may be, maybe there's a wife here today 